Good morning, church. How are we doing this morning? Fantastic. Awesome. Josh, thank you so much uh, for leading us in worship this morning on the team. I did an incredible job just hearing your voices uh, there at the end was such a blessing to me. Um, it, it brought me back to a memory. Um, I didn't plan on sharing this, but it just brought back a memory uh, to me that uh, I grew up in a church, I grew up in a denomination where we didn't use any instruments at all. I grew up in the Church of Christ. And so everything we did worship-wise was all a cappella. And so that was a great, that was really awesome for my heart to hear. Well, my name is Britton Johnston. I get to serve as the discipleship pastor here at First Baptist Church Brunswick. And it's my honor to be here today. Uh, pastor Chris is, he is getting some much needed rest and relaxation. Do we not have a, do we not have an amazing pastor church. Come on. When we have an amazing pastor who works as hard as he does, it's great and it's awesome that he takes time to, to, to rejuvenate himself and uh, to get the rest that he and his family need. So I'm just honored that he would trust me today with the pulpit. And so I'm excited. Ready to buckle up? You ever been on one of those roller coasters where they kind of like squeeze the thing onto you and you're like, oh, is that tight enough? That's, that's the question you should be asking yourself right now. Uh, is this tight enough? That's great. Uh, we've been in an awesome series called God, I Want to Know You. Uh, we've been looking at the different names of God. Not, not all the names, but some of the names. Uh, one of those being Abba, God is Father. Then we looked at Jehovah Jireh, God who provides. And then we looked at Jehovah Nisi, God is our banner. Then Jehovah Rapha, God is our healer. And Jehovah Sabaoth, which was last week, which means God of the angel armies, the Lord of hosts. And today we're going to look at a different name that God gives himself. And I'm very, very excited uh, about this name. It's Jehovah Shema. The Lord is here and the Lord is there. The Lord is present. He is among us. It's amazing. You know, typically when I preach or I teach, uh, I'm sitting in my living room with a group of college students or young adults. So if you're okay with it, I'm going to pretend that you're in my living room. Maybe some of you are on the couch, some of you are on the floor. I'm sitting in my recliner, if that's okay. I wish I had a chair up here right now, but I don't. Um, but, but, but that is the context. And I love that because that's the context of the local church. So if you got your Bible, and I'm pretty positive that you do, why don't you pull them out? And turn to the book of Ezekiel. I know that's everyone's favorite book. Uh, whenever you are asked your favorite book of the Bible, I know everyone is saying Ezekiel. I know. So you probably know it like the back of your hand. Go to chapter 35 there in Ezekiel. And while you're turning there, let's pray together. Father, we're just so thankful for who you are. Father, we're thankful for your presence. God, we're thankful for God, the way that you move in our lives. And God, I pray today, God, that you would speak. God, I pray that, uh, God, that you would use me as a vessel. And God, if there's anything said that is not from you, God, it would fall on deaf ears, God. But God, but whatever is said from truth, God, that is your word, God, I pray that it would be a seed sown in good soil. God, that it would produce much good fruit. God, we love you and thank you for what you're doing in our church. In your name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen, amen. How many of you in here have had a birthday? This is a test to see if you're actually paying attention. So everybody's hand should be up. How many of you have had a birthday? Fantastic. I have had a birthday too. A lot of them. 31 of them to be exact. Um, and I love birthday parties. The parties that I love at a birthday party is particular fall on November 11th. That's just the one that I like the most. Um, birthday parties are great. It's a great celebration. Uh, it can, uh, you know, be in your house. I don't know if, you ever, if you've ever had a birthday party. Uh, typically those are a little bit more when we're young or when we hit those, those, those milestone ages. Uh, but if you've had a birthday party, if you're in our house, you can expect to wake up, to open the door, and to have to walk through a wall of streamers. 
in our house. And then you're going to see balloons, you're going to see hats, you're going to see party blowers. Uh, we go all out for birthdays. And then you can fully expect whatever cake you requested, no matter how crazy it may sound, will be made for you by my beautiful wife, Brooke, uh, to the extent that there might be multiple cakes. But uh, it's just amazing. We love birthdays in our house. I didn't grow up that way, but, but, but it's awesome uh, the way we celebrate birthdays in our house now. Uh, but when it comes down to a birthday party, you usually invite people, right? You invite people that you, uh, mostly that you like, hopefully, right? Um, and then you, might, you might invite that person who you know would bring a good gift, even though you're not really crazy about them, but you're going to invite them anyway. But, but the invitation list, it, 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 it comprises of three groups. The one that, that you really want there, the one that you're okay with, and I just want them there because they bring a good present. And then there's the group of people that you really don't want at your birthday party. And if they're in the room, don't look at them right now, Okay. There's that person you don't want at your birthday party. They make it all about themselves. It's just not very fun. And you know it's about me on my birthday. I'm not inviting that person. But either way, we want those, those people that we love to be at our birthday so much so that if, that if that one particular person wasn't there, then it would change the whole dynamic of the day, right? There's those people in our lives that their presence means the world. And you want them there on that day that is so special to you. And the point of all this is this, that the presence of a person or their absence is impactful. It makes a difference. The presence or the absence of the person that you love makes all the difference. And today we're going to look at, like I said, this name, Jehovah Shema. The Lord is, is there. The Lord is presence. Jehovah is just a Latinization of the Hebrew word Yahweh. So if you're like, I got Yahweh, I got Jehovah, I got all these other names. Jehovah is just a Latinization of, uh, of the Hebrew word Yahweh. Um, and so we, we use that word today, Jehovah. And Shema just meaning, just meaning near or close presence. It, it, it indicates location. It indicates location. Jehovah Shema. So let's go to Ezekiel chapter 35. Let's jump into some scripture this morning, and then we're going to, to break it down a little bit and, and enjoy some time in the Lord's presence. So we're going to go to Ezekiel chapter 35. If you've got your Bible, uh, read along, but if not, it's going to be on the screen behind me. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. Now this is a chunk of, of scripture, and let me set it up for us. Ezekiel is a prophet. He's a prophet uh, to Israel, and he has been exiled. So that means that, that he has been uh, captured and taken away from his home city in Jerusalem, in Israel. And he is, and he is ca he's held captive in Babylon. But God comes and he visits him in Babylon. He's, uh, he, scholars say that about 25 years old is when he's taken uh, to, 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 to some uh, many years of exile there. And God comes to him and he gives him a prophecy. And he gives him um, a vision, if you will, um, of, uh, of the glory of God that, that, that slowly departed out of Jerusalem. If you remember any of your Old Testament, Solomon builds this incredible temple and he prays this awesome prayer, and the cloud of the glory of God fills the temple, and it's been there, and it indicated that God's presence was in that place. It was a promise fulfilled to David that, that, that you will build me a house, a dwelling place. And so since then, God's presence has been there. But when exile comes, God's, God's glory begins to, begins to slowly depart. And Ezekiel documents just the slow departure at the different places in Israel as the departure happens. And then in the middle of the book, he begins to have a glimmer of hope. Uh, the last half was written after the Lord revealed to him that Jerusalem had been completely flattened. 
Um, the first part, it's, 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 it's not good, but then the middle part, it's like, okay, it's, it's bad, Ezekiel. You're not there right now, but I'm going to show you what's happening. And then the last part concludes with this amazing vision that Ezekiel gets of the glory restored. Ultimately, we know that this is uh, from chapter 40 to 48. It's Ezekiel seeing the new Jerusalem, the new heaven, the new earth, and it's incredible. So that's a little bit of setup for you. We're going to jump into the middle of the book where Ezekiel is asked to prophesy against a group of people. Uh, he's, a, he's called to prophesy against the people that live on Mount Seir. Everyone say Mount Seir. Oh, wow, you are here. Mount Seir. Say, you ever seen Horton? He's a who? I am here, I am here, I'm here. You, everyone, you're here, you're here, you're here. Everyone say Mount Seir. Fantastic. And who do you know lives in the land of Mount Seir? Everyone say Edomites. There you go. Who do you know is the father of the Edomites? Everyone say Esau. Wow. And who is the brother of Esau? Everyone say Jacob. You guys, all right, we'll, we'll just go. You guys are Bible, Bible scholars. You know this thing backwards and forwards. This is awesome. So he's prophesying against Mount Seir, against the Edomites. If you remember when we did Jehovah Nisi, couple weeks ago, around the 4th of July, the Lord is our banner. Uh, we looked at Exodus 17, and Moses and, and Joshua, they've come out of Egypt, they've crossed the Red Sea, and they encounter a group of people. Do you remember who this group of people were? Everyone say the Edomites. The Edomites. Were led by King Amalek. And there's a mighty battle, and, and, and if you remember the story, when Moses holds his arms up, they win, and when he sets them down, they begin to lose. And so Aaron and Hur, they grab his arms, and they hold him up until the battle is won, and Joshua and the army come back victorious. So that is the Edomites. Ever since Israel has, has come out of slavery, the Edomites are against Israel. And they've got this old feud all the way back to Esau and Jacob wrestling in the womb. Do you remember this story? They've had a feud going back. And so in Ezekiel, he says, look over to Mount Seir and let's say this. So now that we've, we've set it up enough, let's go to Ezekiel 35. Let's read 1 through 10. Everybody buckle up. Here we go. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying... Son of man, set your face against Mount Seir and prophesy against it and say to it, thus says the Lord, behold, I am against you, Mount Seir, and I will stretch out your hand against you and will make you a desolation and a waste. I lay waste your cities and you become a desolation. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Because you have had everlasting enmity and have delivered the sons of Israel to the power of the sword at the time of their calamity, at the time of their punishment of the end, therefore, as I live, declares the Lord, I will give you over to bloodshed. The bloodshed will pursue you, since you have not hated bloodshed. Therefore, bloodshed will pursue you. I will make Mount Seir a waste and a desolation, and I will cut off from the one who passes through and returns, and I will fill its mountains with the slain. On your hills and in your valleys and in your ravines, those slain by the sword will fall. I will make you an everlasting desolation, and your cities will not be inhabited. Then you will know that I am the Lord, because you have said, these two nations and these two lands will be mine, and will possess them, although the Lord was there. Jehovah Shema. I know what you're thinking about this point. You're thinking, what happened to Amazing Grace? I thought God was good. What happened to good, good father, right? If you're an Edomite, you're wondering that. If you're, if, if you're a child of Israel, you're thinking God is, God is still Jehovah Sabaoth. He's still fighting our battles, even though we're in a far off place. But sometimes we, we, we kind of glance over these passages because it makes us question God's goodness. 
And beloved, I want you to know that God's fierceness against his enemies and against the enemies of his children and of his name is actually a true sign of his holiness and of his love. Whenever you read about God's fierceness and his wrath coming against the enemies of God and against his children, you shouldn't say, wow, what a, what a, what a mean God, <laughs> what an angry God. You should think, what a passionate, loving God who loves his children so much, he's going to take the battle to their enemies. His fierceness is actually his holiness and his love. So here's what this whole passage is saying. It's saying this, it's saying Israel has been, has been, they've been taken captive. They've been led away into Babylon. And the Edomites, they think, what a grand opportunity. They are opportunists to the nth degree. And they say, hey, this is our chance. They, 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 they've left. Uh, let's just go pile it on and let's take the land for ourselves. This is what we've always wanted, right? And God says, you didn't even hate the fact that, that, that Israel your distant relative was being exiled. In fact, you wanted to capitalize upon it. And behold, you said all these things and you made all these vows. You said, oh, we're going to take it. But I was there. But I was there. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, from this one incident, we gather that whatever may be the devices of the enemy of God's people, though there be nothing else to thwart them, there is this as an effectual barrier the saints of God are God's heritage, and the Lord is there to guard and to hold his own. Even when the enemy comes against, even when bloodshed is all around, even when the terrible things in your life happen, your effectual barrier is this, God is there. God is there. So uh, if, you, if you hang on with me just for a moment, I want to do a little bit of theology. I want to I I step away from Ezekiel for a minute and let's do a little bit of theology study. I know that word, uh, it may intimidate you a little bit, but don't let it. Theology just means the study of God. And if you're a disciple, which means that you're a student of God, uh, newsflash, you're already enrolled in this class. You may just have not been there. So there's a lot of absences built up against you. I'm just kidding. You're enrolled. You can't get around it if you're a disciple and you call God your Savior. You're enrolled in this. It's the Theology 101. And we'll just look at a few terms this morning as we talk about God's presence. Um, we know first off that God is, the first word is omnipresent. Everyone say omnipresent. 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 God is omnipresent, which means that he is present everywhere at the same time, at all times. You probably have heard this term before. You may have used it before. Uh, it's scripturally based. David said, where can I flee from your presence, O God? I can't go to the highest mountain. I can't go to the lowest depths of Sheol. Behold, you are there. He is everywhere at all times at the same time. And I believe one reason is this. And you're like, I can't, I can't really wrap my brain around that. Uh, I'm in the same boat with you. I, I, I have a hard time wrapping my brain about, around it, but I had a B-plus education at a private Christian school, so this is kind of how I see it. Um, God is, he's the creator of all things, correct? Correct, he's the creator of all things. In 1 Corinthians 1, 16 and 17, it says this. It says, for by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, when we talk about omnipresence, we talk about God is in everything. Now, not everything is, not everything is God, but God is in it all. And I want to kind of change that a little bit to where God isn't 
in everything as much as everything is in God. Does everyone see 1 Corinthians? In him, all things hold together. And so when God is omnipresent, actually, we are in his world. God is not coming into ours, believers. We have to be fully aware and confident in the fact that God is God and we are not. He created us and we're just, we're just in his world, right? So in him, all things hold together. That just helps me understand God's omnipresence. The next term is this. Uh, God is transcendent. Everyone say transcendent. Transcendent. You guys are so incredible theologians. Transcendent. This means every, um, it, it means that beyond, transcendent meaning beyond the limits of possible experience and knowledge. That means that God is high and lifted up. He's above all else. He is not God. He, he, is, he is God and we are not, excuse me. And, and he, is, he, is, he is high and lifted up, meaning we can't touch him. He's so holy. He is transcendent. He is above all things. God, you know, you think about him, you're like, he's millions of miles away, wherever, wherever heaven is. And that's awesome because that's where his throne is. That's where he dwells. But then we have this term, imminent. Everyone say imminent. God is transcendent and he is imminent. Imminent just means being within the limits of possible experience and knowledge. So he's transcendent. He's outside the scope of, of understanding and knowledge, but he's imminent. He's within the limits of understanding and knowledge. What is the hope of that? Why, why does that matter, you may ask? Isaiah 57, 15, let's look at this passage. If you want to go there, you can. It'll be on the screen behind me. Isaiah 57, 15, it says, this is God speaking. He says, thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever and whose name is holy. I dwell on a high and holy place, transcendent, and also with the contrite and the lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite, imminent. God is high and lifted up. He's above all things. But at the same time, he makes himself readily available to the broken and the contrite by making himself imminent. And he comes down. It's amazing. These are characteristics of God. So now as we jump back to Ezekiel, uh, the, the Israelites are exiled. They're, they're gone. And, and what amazes me is that even though the Israelites, if you know any about your Old Testament, the Israelites have, 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 have stiff-armed God Many a time. If you know the Heisman move, that's what Israel's been doing to God uh, tons of times, right? He's been stiff-arming them, or they've been stiff-arming him, and, and rebelling against him, uh, walking into sin, and, and forgetting God's law over and over and over again. And the patience of God amazes me, especially in this text. You think, I exiled the children of Israel, I'm gone too, which in a sense he does, but in this passage, he's saying, I'm still there. Beloved, whatever has happened in your life, whatever, whatever comes up, whatever bad news you've gotten, has anyone ever gotten bad news before? I've gotten bad news before. Has anyone ever had a bad day? I've had a bad day. You've, you've had good days, you've had bad days, then you just had days, right? All three, Jehovah Shema, God was there, and God is there. The first question we typically ask when something bad happens is What? When something bad happens in your life, what is a question that a lot of us ask? Where is 
where is God? Well, God, where are you? Where are you, God? This is terrible. I hate it. Where are you? See, we love to talk about Jehovah Jireh. We love to talk about Jehovah Jireh and Jehovah Rapha. God provides for us. He, he heals us. Jehovah Sabaot, he fights our battles. We love to sing about that. Specifically the Jireh one. It's been a really great, uh, it's an awesome song today, Jireh. Um, I love that. And I love singing about God's provision. And he does provide for us. That is the truth. That is his name. But I think sometimes we associate his provision with his presence incorrectly. Meaning this, if I go through something difficult, then God must not be there. If God's not providing in the way that I think that he should, then he's somewhere way far off. We, we, we've tethered his provision with his presence. We've tethered his healing with his presence sometimes in our life. And so many, especially in our world around us, uh, there, there's that temptation to think God's not here. God's, God doesn't exist. He's not here. Look at all these terrible things going on. And this passage has proved to us God is there. God is there. My question this morning is if God never did anything else for us other than being who he is and going to the cross and resurrecting for you, would that be enough? You've prayed many a prayer, I'm sure. You've expected God to do mighty and awesome things in your life, which you should. I think we should have a spirit of expectation that God will do what he said he will do. But what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't fulfill the way you think that he should? What if he doesn't come through the way that you think that he should? Is your faith hinged upon that one answered prayer? I've been there at a point in my life where I put so many eggs in this one basket. God had to answer this prayer exactly the way I wanted it to be done. And if he didn't, I was afraid that I was going to lose my faith. But luckily and thankfully, God blessed me and he restored me. And he said, hey, my truth is here. It's not, in your, it's not in your extenuating circumstances. I think so many of us are waiting on a circumstance to push you into the faith that the word of God should be pushing you into right now. Let's look at Joshua 1.9. It says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Beloved, we were promised a couple of things in life. We were promised trouble. We were promised persecution. We were promised uh, strife, and we were promised his presence. These are promises of God. Look at, uh, it's not on the screen behind you, but Matthew 28, Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always. And I heard this week that word lo just means pay attention to this. I am with you. I go with you wherever you go. Look at Isaiah 41, Sam. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you. For I am your God. I will strengthen you and surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. In Deuteronomy 31.6, got a couple more. Just, just, re, uh, just, just driving the point home. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't tremble at them. For the Lord your God is with you and he goes with you. He will not fail or forsake you. And lastly, look at Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst. A victorious warrior, he will exult over you with joy, he'll quiet you with his love, and he'll rejoice over you with singing. 
That's pretty reassuring. I hope that's reassuring to you. So we go back to Ezekiel. Eventually, the Israelites, they come out of captivity, right? You know the story. They come back to their city. They rebuild their city. They rebuild the walls. Nehemiah helps with that. They end up rebuilding the temple. And, and they begin a restoration process. And the great thing is that the hearts of the people were, were repentant. They heard the word of God. They, they responded to the word of God, and they repented for what they had done. But the glory that departed in Ezekiel's vision never returned to the new temple. That glory cloud, we don't, have, we don't have any scripture that says that glory cloud came back down and filled that temple that they rebuilt. At least not like they expected it to. Hundreds of years later, eight-year-old baby Jesus in the, in, the, in the arms of Mary and Joseph comes into the temple to be dedicated to God. Do you remember the story? And it was unbeknownst to, so, to everybody there except for two people. And they saw that the glory of God was entering into the temple once again. At 12 years old, we see Jesus do the same thing. He comes in and he begins to, uh, in, our, in our language we would say, he schools them. He was schooling the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He was taking it to them. And then we see it all throughout his ministry. And when he begins his public ministry, the guy, Jesus would go into the temple. He'd minister. He'd teach. He'd come in and out many, many, many times. And the only thick cloud at that point in time was over the Pharisees' eyes because they couldn't see what was going on. So much so they couldn't see what was going on. They took him and they sacrificed him, the perfect lamb of God. And then, and they made a mockery of him. And then the veil was split. The separation barrier between the holy place and the holy of holies, the veil is torn in two, signifying that God's presence will not remain in one place anymore. Continue the story. He resurrects from the dead. He comes back three days later, ultimately uh, to then ascend in his glory. And before he does that, he says, you need to wait right here because power will come to you on high. It'll come to you. So 40 days later, a rushing wind and tongues of fire. You know the story. It comes in on the apostles, on the disciples. And Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are a temple of God? And that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God dwells in you. So what didn't come back in, in, in Ezekiel when they rebuilt the temple, when they came back and restored, ultimately Jesus is among us in the Gospels, and then in Acts, he comes and he dwells in us. God is present. He's omnipresent. And he was transcendent, and now he's made himself imminent. There's a difference between saying that God is everywhere and that God is here. We'll get to a little bit more of that in a little bit. But, but God is transcendent. Uh, in the Old Testament, God dwells with us. In the New Testament, he dwells among us. Remember this, Emmanuel, God, God with us, among us. And then in Acts, he dwells in us. But a day is coming when all three will be a real and present reality. He'll be with us, he'll be among us, and he'll be in us, and it'll be the best thing you've ever experienced in your life. Um, I love the song, Is He Worthy? Does anyone know, know what song I'm talking about? I love this song. There's a line in it, and it says, um, let, me, let me get it right. <clears throat> it says, does our God intend to dwell again with us? And then everyone responds with, he does. Does God intend to dwell again with us? Everyone say, he does. He does. He does. He does. Jehovah Shema. Well, there's three things I want you to take away today from this whole passage. And three things I want you to remember. Number one is this. 
We talked about it. I feel like we're beating a dead horse now at this point, but, but we need to drive it home. God was there. The Lord was there. A couple weeks ago, uh, some college students and young adults, we meet in our house on Sunday nights for an intensive discipleship time. And we were going over a, a part of this book that we're reading about going back to your past, going back to your past and watching God heal your past so that you can move forward. And I asked this question to them, and I gave them a little bit of homework, and I want to give you this homework too. If Jehovah Shema is true of God and God was there, like he was in Ezekiel 35, then as you look back on some of those worst memories that you can remember, some of those bad moments in your life where maybe you ask the question, is God there? Your homework is I want you to go and get into a quiet place with the Lord. Because if the truth is Jehovah Shema, God was there, then God was there in your experience and in your moments of most need. And some of you, you're like, I know exactly where he was. I ran to him and, and it was amazing. Some of us in here, we, we, haven't let, we haven't seen where God was in those moments and they still haunt us to this day. Go and get alone with God and ask him this question, God, I know that you're Jehovah Shema. You were there. God, where were you specifically? Where did I miss you? Show me where you were in that moment. Because, beloved, when you see the presence of God in every single moment of your life, that's when healing begins to take place. Because God was there, and what was different, what, what, what wasn't there was our ability to perceive and to see. So there may be moments in your life where you need to go and you need to ask God, where were you? Not critically, but in faith, knowing that Jehovah Shema, he was there, I just, I just might have missed him. God, where were you? Psalm 23, verse 4. We know this because even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even in the darkest moments, it says, he is with me. Beyond your feeling, beyond your perception, he was there. A poem comes to mind uh, when we talk about God is there. You may, you may, you've probably read this poem before. Um, I don't want to say I thought it was cheesy, but I may have thought it was cheesy, but it's okay. Uh, this, is, this, this poem is called Footprints in the Sand. Has anyone ever heard this poem before? It doesn't rhyme, so uh, if, you were, if you were hoping for that, uh, I'm sorry to bum you out. Uh, but let's, uh, it'll be on the screen behind me. I want to read it. And maybe you'll, uh, maybe you'll find yourself somewhere in this. It says, one night I dreamed a dream. And as I was walking along the beach with the Lord, across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me and one to the Lord. And after the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. And I noticed that at many times along the path of life, especially at the very lowest and saddest moments, there was only one set of footprints. This really troubled me, so I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said once I decided to follow you that you'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why. When I needed you the most, you would leave me? He whispered, precious child, I love you and will never leave you. Never ever during your trials and testing. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. The times of life that are dark feel like God's not there. 
But what, but what I want you to do with that homework is go back and ask God, where were you? And I guarantee you, he was a whole lot closer than you think he was. Because God is imminent, and he draws near, and he is Jehovah Shema. Point number two, God is there. This is, this is simple, I know. Uh, it is the literal, just the name, God is there, the Lord is there, Jehovah Shema. Uh, if you're keeping tabs on how many times I've said Jehovah Shema, uh, Jehovah Shema, Jehovah Shema, Jehovah Shema. There's three more times. God is there. The Lord is there. Remember in Psalms where he says that he's an ever-present help in time of need? He is there. I'm going to be honest with you. I love the presence of the Lord. I love the presence of God. I, one of the ways that, that I experience the presence of, the God, presence of God most often is, is through music and worship. Uh, maybe you like to go outside and get in creation. Uh, maybe there's that, that, that place where you and God just meet and you connect and you experience his presence. Because the Bible talks about his omnipresence, but it also talks even more so about the manifest presence of God, where God is, and you encounter him where he is. And, I, and I'd be remiss to, to, to not understand and to not realize that some of you in here are thinking, I have no idea what he's talking about. I have no idea what it means to experience the presence of the Lord. What does that mean? I had a conversation um, he's not here this morning, but with Mac Varnado a couple weeks ago, and we just talked about how he was going through something difficult, and he just sought the Lord, and he experienced God in his presence. James 4, 8 literally says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Another scripture says, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. We, we, we have this idea, we use it in our natural life. Let me explain. So I'm with you in this building, right? Right? I'm with you here in this, in this worship center. We're here together. But look at the person that you're sitting next to. You're with them, right? You're sitting with them. And in proximity, you're actually sitting closer to the person next to you than you are with me. And so to say that you're with me in this building is a little bit more broad, but more specifically, I'm sitting next to this person. I'm with that person. We use this all the time. And so if you're having a hard time recollecting, okay, how can God be everywhere but be somewhere? Because he's God. <laughs> because he's God. If God draws near when we draw, to, when we draw near to him, I think I said this earlier, but a lot of times we draw near to God during circumstances that aren't good. The children of Israel did this. God would come and he'd meet with them and then, he, and, and then they'd rebel. And then when things didn't go so good, they went back to God. And a lot of us, we, we draw near to God when things are not good. But will we draw near to him when it's just a day? It's not a good day. It's not a bad day. It's just a day. Will we draw near to him? If Jesus opened that door right there and he began to walk down this aisle, and all of us started to turn and look at him. That would be incredible, right? We would, I don't know what your response would be. I, I would try to get as low as I could. I'd probably grab a shovel and start digging. I want to get as low as I can because I want to be face down before Jesus. If he walked in the room, we'd all have an encounter with his presence, would we not? 
Some of us in here, we have never experienced the presence of God in our life. And if you're waiting for that moment to happen, then it's not faith, it's sight. If you're waiting for that moment to happen, then it's too late. Because when Jesus walks in the room, there's no choice anymore. Because when you look at him in the face, one day the choice is gone. What I mean by that is it's so incredibly beautiful. It's so incredibly powerful that when you look at him, you can't help but say, yes, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. But to do it on this side, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so when Satan comes to you and he tempts you to only use your eyes, look at your circumstances, look at the things around you. If you are tempted to use your eyes to provide hope for you that God is near, then that is a scheme of the enemy. Because, because sight is not faith. And your hope is dwelt in, in found in God alone and in faith. Faith in God. God can be there. And and if you haven't experienced the presence of God in your life, if you've never experienced Jehovah Shema, we're going to have an opportunity after this is over. We're going to sing, and, and I want us to, to engage with God, to draw near to him and watch him draw near to us. Third point is this. We'll wrap up here. God will be there. Ezekiel 48, 35. Uh, this is the biggest text and, and the one place in Scripture uh, that really... Uh, hones in on Jehovah Shema. He's gonna, the name's going to be here again in uh, Ezekiel 48, 35. Uh, if you look there on the scripture. At this point, I told you, Ezekiel has seen the new heaven and new earth, the new Jerusalem. It starts in chapter 30. It goes all the way, excuse me, chapter 40. It goes all the way to 48. And this is the last verse in the whole book. It says, the city shall be 18,000 cubits around, and the name of the city that day shall be the Lord is there. The Lord is there. So ultimately, one day, God will be there. The city of God is not described, and it's not named after what God does. It's named after where he is. The city of God is not named after, after the things that he's accomplished. It's named after what he, who he is. God's provision for you is temporal. You have needs on this side of heaven that you will not have one day. And yes, God is a provider, but that's, that's right now. There are sicknesses that we experience in this life that we will not experience later. So Jehovah Rapha, he is our healer now. There are battles that we face on earth that we will not face when we step into eternity. And thus he is Jehovah Sabaoth now. But the one that crosses the barrier, the one that makes the chasm from here and there, and I'm not saying he ceases to be the other ones, don't hear me wrong, because he does. He, he is all that all the time. But the city of God is described as his presence, not his provision. God is there. So that's the truth. God is there. Revelation 3.20 says this. Jesus is speaking. He says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. 
question isn't, is God going to be there? The question isn't, is, is not, was God there? The question isn't, is God there? Jehovah Shema, let's just put that to bed. The question is, where are you? Where will you be? Will you be where he is? Do you desire to be where he is now? Or are you okay with coming in here and sitting and declaring that, that your proximity is his presence? Because beloved, you have to get close to God. It's not enough to walk in and sit in the building. We have to have our hearts pointed, desiring God. And he'll meet with us. So the question is, will you be there? Why don't you stand to your feet and let's pray together. God, we thank you, God, that you are Jehovah Shema. God, we thank you that you are present. You are ever-present help in a time of need, God. You're with us. And you want to be with us, God. And God, I pray that every heart in here would be pointed towards you and desire that, that, that encounter with your manifest presence, God. Not just today, but every day going forward. God, that we'd experience you in your presence. And God, and stand on the word of your truth. God, we just want to be where you are. If you're here this morning and you want to encounter the presence of God and you want to experience him and his goodness, I want you to sing the song where you are. Come forward. Come to the altar, it's open. If you've never said yes to Jesus, if you've never made that step in your life before, and you're like, I want to know God like that, come find me, come find one of our pastors after this. Let's have a discussion about how God wants to be intimately in your life. God, we bless you and we thank you. We thank you for your word. God, now we experience you in your presence in Jesus' name. Amen.